analysis, Mr. Spock. Alien weapon is a form of plasma energy, Captain. Exact composition, unknown. Guidance system, unknown. It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Happy Independence Day weekend, everyone. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour. We're going to have some fun today talking to our buddy from Chicago, a little south of Chicago, Sam Moranto. He is a luminary in the field of UFO, UAP, and any other consonants and vowels in whatever combination you care to mention. He is the go-to guy, and we're delighted to have him with us for an hour of conversation as we watch the skies. That was an old rallying cry back in the late 50s, maybe even earlier than that, come to think of it. And another thing about Sam is that it was about 1959 when he had his first UFO sighting. I want to get into that. I'm sure the memory is still fresh as a story ripped from today's headlines. By the way, what are today's headlines? I haven't checked yet. Suzanne Mitchell, always glad to be working with you, my dear. And I want to say hello to Tall Guy Nathan. Tall Guy Nathan Miller. Good morning, Gary and Suzanne. I come in peace. And peace. happy 4th and July <laughs> weekend. The, oh, my God. That, that came from the mothership. Yes. <laughs> Beam me up. And, you know, Nathan, people could decide that you are an alien from another planet because you are one of the tall ones. Yes, that would be, it does certainly you know, seem like that. I could probably just reach out them and touch it, you know. Sure. Sam's go. laughing over there because he knows that that would be a reference to the so-called Nordic race, the Nordic aliens of UFO lore. And, and maybe Nathan would be short by comparison. I don't think he's one of those, you know, three foot aliens that you could stick in your glove compartment. No, no, no. <laughs> he's like a he's like a seven footer. Just <laughs> the long arms and up. long legs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure about the weird, odd green shaped head with the big bulging eyes. That's right. And if Nathan Miller ever comes to your door with a present, you unwrap it, and it's a book called To Serve Man, just to ask him where the return desk is. <laughs> Take me to your leader. <laughs> Excellente. Oh, I hope everybody has some fun plans for the 4th. We're really, I don't know if we're going to wind up going out. We live in Sarasota, Florida, as many of you know, close to Siesta Fireworks Key. Fireworks on the beach. Right there, the gorgeous, but the traffic, oh my God. Oh, yeah. So we have to kind of, you know, we're right at that fulcrum of deciding whether or not we want to go through yeah. all that or simply watch it on TV. Yes, that's right. You go there in person for wonderful, wonderful fireworks. It's probably two or three hours to get there and two or three hours home. Because you have to get <laughs> off the key, back onto the mainland, and that's always a joy. Yeah. All right. Sam Maranta. Let me go ahead and give this man his mad props. And there's a kind of narrative that goes along with all this, and it's going to lead to some interesting stories, the veracity of which is up to you to decide. Ladies and gentlemen, you be the jury. We're talking about some controversial material here again today. Sam Morano is with us. UFOs are back in the news. Now, get a load of this. UFOs, I am reading from something on Podcast One where we archive these shows. And this is what's mysterious about this. I didn't write it. Suzanne didn't write it. We don't know who wrote it. So it was found on a monolith in a cave. I don't know what that was all about. UFOs are back in the news and are now called unidentified aerial phenomena. 
Joining Gary and Suzanne on Manson Mitchell, this is the last time he was with us, is Sam Moranto, the director of the Illinois State Chapter of the Mutual UFO Network, to get us up to speed on the strangeness in our skies. I have never written that in my life. And yet I'm looking at this and I go, that's not half bad. That's okay. For at least 14 years, it's probably more than that now. Sam Moranto has been the state director and he's been a certified field investigator for well over 20 years. Sam has been involved in two major mass sighting investigations. They would be the Tinley Park and Rockford sightings, flaps as they say, as well as numerous other investigations throughout a period of over a decade. His research into the UFO UAP phenomenon started in 1964. He's also a UFO witness. We want to get into that today. He had his first sighting back in 1959. That's when uh, those saucers had tail fins. The latest sighting was in May 2003 in Orland Park. Sam, by the way, professionally speaking, has been an independent insurance broker for just about 40 years. So he's a man of many talents, many involvements, and he took some time out this weekend before he celebrates the 4th. He's going to be here with Manson Mitchell right now. Sam Moranto, we're always glad to have you back, my friend. Well, it's a pleasure to be back. And this time I'm not shopping or in the car talking to you. Nope. Oh, that I, was a one-time thing. That was a one and This is your seventh time on air with us. This is lucky number seven. We, yes. The first time we talked to you was in 2008. So that was 14 years ago. And uh, and, and so we're, we're averaging about every other year to have you on to bring us up to speed. And I said to Gary, I want to ask Sam something I've never asked him before. And I think it's kind of a two-parter, Sam. So are you ready? Sure. Do you look at any of the television shows about the UFOs, UAPs? And if you do, do you find them credible? Uh, the first is yes, because I am a, a consultant for Hollywood. I've been a consultant for a few uh, uh, major shows, uh, five, five episodes for UFO Hunters. And uh, I also consulted on the um, uh, 10 best UFO sightings, uh, filmed sightings. Uh, that was for MSNBC. And I actually, actually, actually cameoed in that too, of course, um, and others. There's quite a few, also books, etc. But as far as the credible ones, we have to take into consideration first and foremost: this is entertainment. Yeah. And if it isn't going to be entertaining, it's not going to be on television. And many a producer pointed out to me while I was saying, "Quit get you know, quit so much." of the B-roll, let's get some quality information out there. And they would say, no, Sam, it's 46 minutes or whatever of commercial filler. And they would bring that up to me. So I would say there's a lot of very solid information put out there, but it's done so in such small increments and detracted by nonsense that it gets to be confusing, which is what? And I don't know if that is an answer, but it's a summation. Sam, I don't think I've ever heard a better answer. That really is a good answer. If if you're consulting on there, you're making sure that they're not out and out lying about anything, 
but you're also saying that they have to make the tidbits that you're giving them kind of interesting so that the audience stays tuned and is entertained. We, when, when we've talked to people, ghost hunters about that, they'll talk about, you know, actually programs that have made up ghost noises and thrown chairs across the room just to make it believable. And so Gary and I are very skeptical regarding the ghost shows, but I never thought to ask you about the UFO shows. And uh, apparently you, you do watch them. And um, do you ever learn anything from watching what somebody else has put on TV? What happens in some instances, uh, the producer doesn't tell you who exactly is going to be in there. And uh, they may find another witness that comes into play and you definitely want to talk to them. So yes. And in one case in particular, uh, I'm thinking of uh, the Southern Illinois case of 2000. It was January 4th and 5th. And I know Gary knows this one, a large triangular object. It's actually three objects that was seen. And uh, that's what I find interesting is that there were three objects and the sightings began the day earlier. They're saying January 5th, it was the 4th. So the bottom line is uh, there was a witness that not just seen the objects or object, but recorded them. So we had videotape available and I was supposed to get a copy of that videotape. I never got it. And it's very important that I do get it someday because there was a motion in there that was exactly the same as what transpired in Tinley Park and recorded by some individuals on October the 31st in 2004. Sam, we're going to respond to that. If you could put yourself closer to the device per the instructions of Nathan Miller, then our audience, our listeners will be able to hear you more clearly because this is important stuff. You're challenging our imaginations and you are throwing a frontal gauntlet before the skeptics who love to disparage the UFO UAP community and regard this as a silly waste of time or a cultish activity that has nothing to do with real science. Because you, sir, are a proponent, wittingly or unwittingly, of pseudoscience. That's the charge they level. How do you answer? Well, I have no idea. Pseudoscience, I'm very scientific about this. Uh, I'm not interested in belief. I'm 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 interested in gathering evidence. And that's where it begins is, first of all, we hear about the extraterrestrial hypotheses. I don't throw out that hypothesis. I'm interested in getting the evidence together. The government has already told you that no unidentified aerial phenomena does exist. So we're well beyond that. And if they're not informed, they need to do their research. Simple as that. You know, this was one of the things that Gary and I really wanted to get into today. Periodically, not very often, but periodically, we will see something on television and about government involvement with the uh, the phenomenon. And most recently, it looked like there was going to be another congressional hearing about it. And then, of course, there was a million other things going on in the news. And so I never heard any more about it, but they were saying it was going to be the first hearing in decades about about, uh, UFOs and UAPs. 
uh, what tell us what happened with that because it did not make the front page news. So what happened well, with those hearings? It should have. It made it on some in some newspapers. Okay. And in fact, it was pretty big. That was May the seventeenth, and okay. they convened. Of course, it was a select intelligence committee uh, of the representatives, and they had a had two of the witnesses. One was the Under Secretary of Defense uh, of DOD, and then the other person was uh, from the Department of Naval uh, ONI, which is the Office of Naval Intelligence. And most of the UFO-related scenario, people think it's Air Force. No, it's actually ONI. So yes, they did come forward. And back in August, the year prior, in 2020, of course, they convened a task force, specifically uh, convened the task force to, again, open up the investigations on UFOs or UAPs. And they initially started with 144 reports. They and they sent in, of course, I don't know if you knew about the June, I think we went through this, the June uh, 25th uh, preliminary assessment of unidentified aerial phenomena from the Office of Director of National Intelligence, again, stating the fact that these things do exist. And it is not a matter of question that they exist and employing the most sophisticated equipment out there that recorded this, the, the, the Aegis uh, radar, uh, which was deployed in 1940, uh, 2004, it was that Spy-1 radar. Uh, they were picking it up on uh, radar for, oh, for over 10 days, hundreds of these objects. So again, this, this, this isn't make-believe, it's very real, and it is a matter of national security. So again, all this comes at the end of the disclosure of December, I believe the 16th of, uh, of 2017 in the New York Times of the uh, $22 million appropriated for the ATA program, which was a cover uh, program for OSAP. Uh, which was under uh, Bigelow Aerospace. So in other words, no, there's been ongoing investigations. This is a serious matter, and it's a matter of national security. As far as it, it, it being um, a matter of national security, and this is my take on it as a layperson. First of all, there has been a lot of decades where the government was saying they don't exist and that it's just little green men from outer space don't exist. That's it. Now, if there is this idea now of, of their saying, well, yeah, it exists. My, my take on the national security aspect of it is that there has to be some kind of acknowledgement that the technology is far superior to any technology that we currently have. And we know that ours has taken off like a rocket, but that whatever is coming from uh, other parts of the galaxy or other parts of the universe is so much better than what it is that we have, 
that that's where the danger lies, that that if if there was another civilization that wanted to somehow take us over, that they could do that easily. Do I am I close to what the what the security issue is? That's part of it. Uh, I think they're well beyond that. Uh, Again, we don't know exactly where they're from, what their intent is, but we know this technology outstrips multiple generations ahead of what we have today. To give you an example, uh, recorded and documented by the uh, Princeton on the Aegis radar was the fact that uh, the F-18s that were up there observing this object dropped from 28,000 feet down to approximately 50 feet above the water. They were watching these objects prior to this coming in from 80,000 feet coming in. And 80,000 is where they had adjusted the radar to start picking things up. And they were seeing groups of five at a time coming in. Again, they were concerned about these objects being there because we we had an operation going on from the uh, Nimitz uh, battle battle group and they were doing um, operations, basically uh, procedural operations, before they were deployed to the Middle East at that time in 2004. So if we take the, if we look at the speed of something going from 28,000 feet to basically 50 feet above the water, you're moving over 24,000 miles an hour uh, because it was done in 0.78 of a second, less than a second. That's a mighty quick drop from a standstill, and that's what it was. It went from standstill to being perfectly still, and and that's part of the uh, attributes of these objects. They can move from perfectly still to various various speeds. There is no acceleration. That speed is instantaneous. There is no sig- signature such as a um, uh, sonic boom or say, for instance, a trail like a contrail, et cetera. Um, that's just two of the other signatures. The others being that they can cloak themselves. Many of these can cloak themselves at will. Another F-18 went up with flare uh, 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 cameras and was able to uh, record it on there, but was not able to see it. It was being recorded on radar, and it was recorded on flare camera. So there's there's other attributes to it that are even more frightening. So the national security concern are probably more so the other attributes that are more frightening. Uh, that being the ability to somehow tap into um, even the mind has control of some. Uh, some of these may have control of biological components. So these objects were aware of the motion of the plane and mimic it, and then uh, arrived at the cap point where they were supposed to have exercises, which are 60 miles away, and did so in a very short period of time. So nobody knew where their cap point was, except for the pilot and a few people on board. How did they know this? And, and this is not the first time that we've seen some sort of telepathic or some sort of other type of communication or interference with our intellect. So, and this isn't far-fetched. We are using this type of technology and exploring it 
with computers and other devices. So what we're dealing with in, in that capacity may, be, may seem like years ahead, but maybe isn't. So I, I don't know if they had answered anything. Well, you answered a lot, and it as often happens when we take up arcane subjects, answering a question opens up a whole new field of questions. <laughs> so uh, let me, um, excuse me, <clears throat> if I look at it from the standpoint of a hardcore skeptic, I'm going to say, I think it's time that we uh, dusted off our critical thinking skills because these sorts of maneuvers there are not accounted for by the current state of aerodynamics or physics. And so we should really just set that aside and realize that in the world of computer technology, particularly with something as seemingly innocuous as wargaming, there, there can be imagery, there can be illusions deliberately put in front of these pilots so as to discombobulate any attempt during warfare of their ability to cope with what is essentially a massive illusion being created for purposes of strategic gain during moments of conflict. That this is really quite a, if it's not earthbound as an activity, then it only goes as high as the sky controlled by warring opposing forces engaged in combat after all. And that is not the case in this point. It can't, it, that's what they used to do spoof stuff years ago. Um, the Aegis radar uh, that wasn't the case. Uh, the other thing, it was multiple platforms, multiple points of, of observation. It wasn't just one. It wasn't just the Princeton. It was two, two, uh, two F-18s with two individuals and their pilot and the, uh, uh, the, con uh, the weapons controller. And then there was also the uh, basically a small uh, a smaller version of an AWAC uh, up there with multiple uh, personnel who have seen it, the object come directly next to their plane and also recorded on their platform, their systems. Then there were personnel on the ships that were looking at the objects. And it seems as though there were also on uh, from, I think, Catalina Island during that period of time, uh, civilians are now coming forward. So this was seen by multiple vantage points, by multiple um, assets being human, uh, being various platforms of uh, technology. Uh, and you can't do that. You can't spoof everything all at once. The other main concern is because it was a military uh, preparation to go to the Middle East, they would never do that. They may do it on an individual basis, uh, but not, you know, a ship by itself. This was an entire, um, uh, the entire Nimitz group uh, with their support uh, ships. And there was even a submarine with, that recorded it um, underwater. So the bottom line is, I guess on an individual ship, you could spoof for whatever reasons, but not for multiple sensors and assets. So. In this instance, and many others, no. So, I mean, skeptically, and this, the, the phenomenon goes beyond a period of time. It goes well beyond 1947. And today, of course, is um, UFO Day. How, how apropos, right? <laughs> I'll tell you what interests me, Sam, more than anything else, 
is that, you know, we, we look at the very brief amount of time between Kitty Hawk and our going to the moon. And we don't have yet have this ability to travel at those kinds of speeds and to be light years away, because that's what we call them. It'll be light years. You know, you'll be traveling for years and years and years to get somewhere where the phenomenon seems to move in seconds. But the thing that really interests me is when, when we're trying to figure out the, the beings that are involved, we use ourselves as the comparison. They're going to be like as smart as we are, or maybe a little bit smarter. And, and, I, and I say to myself, you know, what, what if they're not, you know, a thousand years ahead of us, but 10,000 years ahead of us or a hundred thousand years ahead of us. And when we, when we consider what a violent warring people, human beings are, it, it, it's possible that they just look at us the way we would look at ants. You know, they would look at us and say, you know, these are, this is nothing here. You know, these human beings, they're, they're just ridiculous. They're like little ant farm. So they, they may not see us as like on their level. They may just, they may be so far ahead with telepathy and with the, the technological and also the, the functioning of, of that kind of being that we just might look like a bunch of stupid clods. True. The, um, you know, the thing, again, origin, purpose, uh, intent, all these different things. It's hard to, what we're dealing with is a multiplicity of phenomena, not one thing. We have things that are nebulous um, and yet seem to have some sort of intellect involved. Then we have structured craft. And there is an a-structured craft that goes across you know, as far as design and whatever. Disc shape is very common, but there's various types and sizes. The, the other thing is the interdimensional or extra-dimensional phenomena. That is something, too. We may have entities here on Earth that are evolving or have evolved quicker than us. There are uh, indications that, that there may be components of these living, whatever they are, higher intelligence and technology under the water. So the thing is, we're dealing with a multiplicity of phenomena, origin, intent, and it's very difficult to put our finger on it. But yet in each scenario, it does represent a threat as far as our national security and, you know, the activity of uh, any military. And also the fact that, you know, I worked on the O'Hare case. We have, we have uh, these objects are seen uh, in and around Class B airspace, and they have been a, a, an issue and a, and a threat or at least a disturbance when it comes to uh, just general aviation. So the things do exist, their purpose, their intent, who knows? Uh, the other thing is if something is moving from 
a distance. And we know an Einstein-Rosen bridge, you know, is one way to move across a wormhole, a black hole, you know, who knows? Um, the bottom line is it isn't necessarily beings per se, but it could be something more on the line of um, a biological um, robot that's coming here or not even biological, be something more mechanical. We see all of that. We have reports of everything across the spectrum, but there seems to be higher incidence of things that are bipedal as far as entities. And we have, we have more so triangular craft, linear, you know, elongated cigar shape and disc shape. But, but there's variations when it comes to craft and the, uh, the agreement is, no, this is craft. This is craft. This is something physical. It's not illusionary. It's real. We're at the bottom of the hour. We need to take a break. Sam Moranto is our guest. I want to get into the weeds of the story that goes well, well back for a lot of us, for all of us there but in sam's childhood to have had the sighting he did i would have paid good money i would have gone out and mowed lawns to earn the money to have the kind of experience that he did watching the sky we'd like to hear about that because it's talk radio and it's all about the stories when you're listening to manson mitchell sam moranto our guest thanks for joining us thanks for listening we'll take a couple of minutes off and we'll be right back here at the epicenter of all this good stuff am 1150 Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed back Diedrich Holmes, internationally recognized conflict resolution expert. This seems like a good time to pick up a few handy tips. On Saturday, Reverend Bonnie Barnard, whose ability to generate affirmations that get impressive results 
joins us in another round of metaphysical Q&A. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Talk radio with a purpose. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest for the seventh time, Sam Maranto from Illinois, the Chicago area. And uh, Sam, if people have their own uh, UFO footage, stories, photos, anything that uh, you might be interested in, what is the best way for people to connect with you? Well, if they have a report, they can just file it at the MUFON site at MUFON.com and fill out a report. If they have, uh, if they specifically want to talk to me, uh, that would be at um, uh, MUFONSAM1, that's a number one, at gmail.com. Very good. uh, I'm willing to take uh, anybody in in your crowd, that's fine. But if there is a report, get it in. And by the way, you know, we have a great... Uh, chapter up there in Seattle. People who have an interest want to join, get involved a little bit more about the subject matter, uh, or just want to attend maybe a meeting or something. Check it out. Uh, does MUFON exist in all fifty states? Do you know? Yeah, sixty-four countries. Also, wow, that's that's a big network. Yeah. So Sam Maranto, and and thank you again for joining us. It's always a blast to talk to you. Back in 1959, on an otherwise unremarkable day, what did you do? Step outside in the backyard and wait a minute. What was that like for you? You're a kid, Sam. You were looking up at the sky and you saw precisely what? Well, what happened was I was up in Fox Lake, and I think you may know the area up there. Uh, it's the northern section near Wisconsin. And there's it was on a bunch of these lakes. And my uncle had a cottage up there, and I decided to test how deep is his well? He just dug a new well. So I'm dropping things down there. And he wasn't too impressed with that and told me, get out of there. So I went in the back and I started skipping rocks across the channel. They had a channel of water and I'm skipping rocks. This object comes from the right, goes over my shoulder. It's an orb type thing, self-illuminous. Goes over into the neighbor's yard and cuts up, up in back of a willow tree and while that happened, I felt a sensation of, uh, elect- was like an electrical charge through me. Hmm. And I thought it was, well, it was just some angelic force just nailing me because I was a bad boy, you know? So it's like the, you know, wrath of God nailing my butt. So um, I didn't know what was going on. But my aunt said, and all of a sudden I heard my aunt yelling, and here she's standing in front of me. And she goes, where were you? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Where was I? I'm right here. I was just back here looking for you and been looking for you for a half hour. And I haven't seen you anywhere. That frightened the heck out of me. I don't know what she was talking about. And it was extremely dark out. When I got back there, it wasn't dark. Got back in the car, went home, and it was on Sunday. And uh, it was around the time that um, Dennis the Menace would have been on television. I think it was 830 that it would be on. And my mom asked me, are you going to watch Dennis the Menace? And I said, no. And I just crawled right into bed. Uh, that scared the heck out of me. I hadn't talked about that experience for 20 some years, but actually that wasn't the best experience I had. It was a first experience. 
So this okay. all of that happened. It didn't even make the number one slot. Okay. Nope. All right. Well, then go ahead and top that, Sam Maranto. We're all ears. The last one, which was uh, May the 2nd of uh, 2003, I was at the intersection of 159th Street and LaGrange Road in the north, the north, in the northwest um, corner, taking a right hand turn. And Julie points up to the sky. And actually, she didn't point. She goes, What's that? And I thought she was talking about Walgreens. I go, that's Walgreens. And she goes, no, up there. Then she decides to point. So I had to lift up the visor, look up, and here is an orange circular object about the size of, say, between a quarter and a half dollar at arm's length. And it was the color of the sun rising or setting that, setting that orangish red, absolutely gorgeous, sitting static in the sky perfectly still and sparks flying around it like discharges and oozing from the bottom, very uh, small, uh, proportionately round objects and the same color. But then it seemed like they disappeared. They were like dropping like, like molten metal. It was beautiful. Uh, this object sat there for some period of time. The light changed. And prior to, the, to it, it starts going uh, southwest. It starts going to the west and to the south, southwest. The wind that day was 13 miles an hour from the north, and it was around 940 in the day. By the, It was on a Friday. So we watched it, we followed it, and as it was moving, I was asking Julie to pay attention to the color. And as it was moving, it was going through the spectrum. So it was doing pretty much like a Doppler effect, visual. I got home, called the non-emergency uh, was the Orland Hill Police Department, because that was the area that was was sitting at, and asked them if they seen anything, told them who I was and what I had seen. And uh, they called back 11-something, nearly, nearly 12 o'clock, and they informed me what you seen was children with balloons. And I said, no, it wasn't children with balloons. It was something, you know, anomalous and a UFO by all standards. And I go, who told you to tell me that? And they got real close to the, to the phone and said, I can't tell you. Well, the next day, the neighbor who was an auxiliary police officer in Orland Park came to my house, pounded the door and told me about the experience they had the day before where other people from some other agency came in and absconded pretty much with all their records pertaining to any other sightings in and about the area. And he didn't even know that I seen the start thing. So that was a pretty interesting one. Thereafter, when we had the Tinley Park sighting the very next year, I ran into two groups of people that had also seen the very same object on that very same night. Very interesting. A lot of confirmation then. That's yeah. great. So when you run into these other people that saw what you saw, do you, uh, I mean, I'm sure you're encouraging them to make a report, but do you stay in touch with them somehow? Do you have a group of people that, that you share information with? Not really on that one because it was my own personal encounter. Okay. And I really should have. Um, I had so much going on at that point because the Tinley Park sighting was going on that this took far from being even backseat or second place. 
Right. Uh, we had at that point literally thousands of people in the community talking about this and easily hundreds of witnesses uh, on the 21st. So, I mean, this was a, a superb mass sighting in the area uh, with multiple sets of, of footage taken simultaneously from various vantage points. Rarely do you get anything like that. And we were able to analyze the footage. We were able to get triangulation and figure out height, distance. And the other thing about that case, um, objects were seen throughout the, the world during that period of time. Uh, the objects were seen, of course, up in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Something was seen, it was in the sky over 30,000 feet in the air. And it was there for nine, nine hours. Then in the mm-hmm. evening, uh, there was something seen and recorded uh, by two separate witnesses. While in a 30 mile an hour wind, the object was perfectly still. And that was in Phoenix, in north northern part of Phoenix, near uh, uh, Deer Valley, or I believe it's what they call the airport. Uh, so I mean, multiple objects. And then, of course, two days uh, or a day and a half afterwards, uh, the triangular combination, three lights, uh, two sets. So you have six, three, like a triangular isosceles were recorded in Melbourne, Australia. And this is a common configuration, a large uh, isosceles object with multiple illuminations. So, I mean, this isn't something new and have been recorded throughout the world. Uh, but in this case, it was well-documented um, for multiple locations. Let me ask you this, Sam. You're, you're saying that um, the Mutual UFO Network is in every state of the United States and in 64 places around the world. Do you think that the information that our government has, which I'm assuming comes primarily from the military, do you think that you actually have the same information, the government as well as uh, MUFON, or do you think they're two separate bodies of information? Are you, is everybody looking at the same thing, in other words? Or is there one side, either MUFON or the, the military and the government, is there one side that has the preponderance of all the information? Um, I would say the preponderance is quite possibly in private sector and private contractors to the government. The, um, in 1947, the subject matter was taken out of the oversight of Congress with the establishment of the national security state. So uh, there was um, reasons for moving this around. And um, now it seems like they're trying to get more congressional oversight on the, on the subject matter. Um, if we, as far as who has the best information, clearly isn't us. If you have better uh, instrumentation and the fact that these objects are very interested in anything with a nuclear uh, attachment, be it missile silos, such as the uh, events in um, the northern northwest section, up to even up to northern Dakotas, 
like in 1975 and earlier in 1967, 68, where they actually appeared over these objects and in some instances shut them off, put them in a no-go position, which is obviously a matter of national security. So this happens on and off, and uh, it happens not just here, but around the world. So I would say anything pertaining to information is kept, um, I would say, as far as maintaining it. It may be government, but I would say government contractors to ensure that it's really kept at bay. And in the private sector, where people are making reports of things that they've seen, and this is being, um, these records are being archived and kept, it seems as though these are people who are um, kind of at the edges of this, that have information, but they don't have the, the radar or the or the, the, the technical expertise to really know what it is that they're looking at. They're making a report. I saw something that was, you know, orange or blue or whatever color it was, and this was the shape and the size and how fast it moved, but they don't, they have their, their, their visual sighting, but they don't really have the, the equipment that goes with it to, to confirm what it is that they saw. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, most of the reports are anecdotes. Right. Best. And, and then and most of the reports are individual. And um, even with now with this new uh, task force, uh, they noted that originally the ATIP group, uh, OSAP ATIP group had 144 reports. They were only looking from 2004 to present. But now under this new oversight, uh, they have 400 reports. And now well, they're, that's only military. They're only taking very select reports. In other words, they're, they've already filtered what they get. Uh, we don't do that. Pretty much the reports that come in and we get about five to 7,000 just us a year um, as far as MUFON. Right. They don't, there isn't really that triage in place. So a lot of them are anecdotal. Though I do have to say that we're receiving maybe as much as half or more with supportive evidence of, say, a photograph right. or video. And again, uh, when we look at this and we do evaluate this, we investigate this, the vast majority, 90 some percent in some instances, are uh, prosaic. It can be explained. Right. Our objective is to find out what it is. And if we can't establish that, assemble enough data to say, no, this is something really unknown. It's not to just give it a proclamation. We're interested in doing the science. Um, You know, I I didn't, I didn't feel like I got to the, the conclusion or the end of one of the things that we brought you to talk about. And that was the congressional hearings I heard what you just said about your feeling like the um, the information is held primarily by private contractors. What was your sense about the conclusion of the congressional hearings? Is there a next step or somewhere to go, or we'll just take this up in another forty years? Or you know, where was it left? 
Oh, no, there's going to be follow-up on this. There's no doubt about that. I mean, this is, uh, it's front and center. And to just to quote the chairperson, the chairman, Carson, uh, he said, to be frank, one of the Congress Congress's concern is the that the um, executive branch and the administrative, administrative, both parties, have been sweeping the concerns about UAPs, and of course, that's the term being used today, under the rug. By focusing on events that can be explained and avoid events that cannot be explained. What the American people want is the confidence. They want to know that the focus here isn't paying attention to low-hanging fruit with easy explanations. And that has been the case forever. This is what we've heard about. Nothing going on. This is the explanation. Let's bring out a weather balloon and say this is what we've seen and then tell them a story, you know, 20, 30, 40 years later that it was a mobile balloon. It was not now, this type of mentality. So, um, no, I think they're going to actually try to get something out. What? I don't know. And the, the very sad thing is only one other congressional member was in the crowd along with uh, Leslie King, the investigative researcher and reporter. And that person was uh, Tim Burchette, uh, who made the statement that it was a total joke, and he feels that there's nothing going to come of it. Yet, he says that there is something going on that can't be handled and, and that we can't handle. I think that's very significant, that there is something here that is more disturbing at the social dynamic. And that in itself is a matter of concern. And also, when you bring this information out, you're going to have to do a lot of, well, yeah, these things do exist. And they already went through that with the acknowledgement that, yeah, these things really do exist. Um, and the sad part is we don't know all the answers to everything that we're dealing with. That is another problem. And to say that we have technology that can outstrip our, our most incredible technology out there today, and we're spending billions upon hundreds of billions of dollars, and we can't get an answer, that's pretty sad too. Or worse yet, to say, no, we've been lying to you for many, many years. So um, it leaves a lot of questions for it to be answered. And I think that's one of the problems, too. When it comes to the dissemination of pertinent information, does it concern you as a researcher? You are a leader in MUFON, a leader in this community. You've risen through the ranks. You put in your time there, and you have a lot of credibility that is well justified, in my opinion, Sam. But what, you're one guy, and you represent one very noteworthy, but nevertheless, one organization, MUFON. When it comes to entire governments, here's what concerns me. I don't want us to be the proverbial caboose on the train as revelations are delivered to the world with the stamp of government authority. Places like Brazil, they got on that pretty quickly. Uh, certainly, uh, smaller countries like Belgium, for example, they had a major flat back in 1990. It reminds me a lot of the Tinley Park incident, actually, in terms of the structure of the craft. 
but also now the UK and their Ministry of Defense. Their old dodge was this is not of national security or defense interest. Well, they kind of gave up on that and they started revealing just a, a tranche of information. Where do we rank among the countries in terms of published forthrightness regarding the UFO UAP phenomenon today? We are at the bottom. And in fact, Bigelow had made a really interesting statement to the fact that we're behind the eight ball on this because of uh, various taboos, childish taboos. And he thinks that it, it, you know, basically enough is enough. Uruguay teaches their kids in school that we're not alone in this universe and maybe even a multiverse per se. Um, we are behind the eight ball. We are the last. Yet everybody is waiting for us to say something before they start going further, except for like France. If you go to South America, no, that this is, this is common knowledge. This stuff exists. And we're not the only ones in this massive universe. So we are behind the eight ball. China is very aggressive. Their uh, UFO groups are, are supported by the government, respected, and they have the largest uh, memberships. And there's like millions of people involved out there. So it, it's taken very seriously, more open. We're, be, we're the last ones. Uh, we're the ones that uh, need to get out of the closet on this and let's get rolling because see the bottom line is people are getting this tech technology. They are reverse engineering it and they don't have any hangups. And one of the biggest hangups, quite honestly, seems to be that of uh, religious uh, zealots or whatever that uh, connotate this as being angels and demons instead of using, you know, uh, looking at it, Unless you know, unless religious uh, sanctions or whatever they they put on it, as far as making it taboo, um, and that's it's purely semantics. We know that. So the thing is, yes, we need to get off our butt, take a look at this. Let's be honest, and um, good, bad, or indifferent. Heck, we just got over COVID, and I think you folks are. Know more about that at this moment. So, um, yeah. I well, think we got to close time. it down now, Sam. I, I want to thank you once again for joining us. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. We are always intrigued, and I know we will do this again. I hope you and Julie have a wonderful, wonderful Fourth of July celebration, and we'll talk again soon. Definitely, absolute pleasure being on. Hope you get to talk again. Take care. All right. Join us next Friday. In the meantime, happy Fourth of July. 